What we speak over others and over ourselves has immense power, and even more so when we speak statements of identity. What are the statements you believe about yourself? Think about that, and what if you could exchange your script for a new, better, more hopeful one? You see, our identities are shaped by our stories, by the messages we receive from those around us, and by the scripts we seem so often doomed to live out. But our identity as we know it may not be who we really, truly are. I'm Alan Arnold, and you're listening to the Ransom Tart Podcast. Today, we've got a special treat. We're playing for you an Ann Sons podcast titled, I Trust You. Now, the Ann Sons podcast is led by Sam and Blaine Eldridge, and it's geared primarily to the millennial generation. Here's the question that they're asking today. What if everyone you knew started to just say, I trust you? What would you live like then? If that was their perception of you and your identity, how would you then live? Here's Sam and Blaine Eldridge from the Anson's podcast titled, I Trust You. Don't say healthy, don't say happy, don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. Good morning, guys. Welcome back to the Anson's Podcast. Blaine and Sam here in the Anson's Podcast studio with a little story about a friend of mine who is a pastor in Spokane, long-term friend, great leader, and one thing that he does that I hadn't seen him before when he was sort of explaining to people who came into this church in Spokane how the gospel worked, meaning how the transformation of a person's life into the image of God worked, is he would put up a whiteboard and he would ask people to explain what the promise of Christianity was. And what they would build towards was some of the truly stunning offerings of Christianity to the world. You get to be transferred into the kingdom of God. Every claim against you gets to be disarmed by Jesus Christ. And then significantly, that every moment you have Jesus advocating for you at the right hand of the Father, Jesus agreeing to carry every burden, to be perfect in your place, etc., etc. And then Steve is his name, would ask the audience, ask the crew doing the class, what would it look like for us to know that this is true if this were an indicative picture of reality? And the obvious answers are relief, freedom, lack of guilt. Like if we believed that here is how we would live, and then he would just ask, and how many of us are living like that? And there's just this awkward silence in the room while we all begin to realize, wow, on some level and in some place, we have yet to deeply receive and inhabit that belief. We have yet to believe the story that God is telling. It's this incredible illustration of the gap between sort of 
the creedal statements, which are over on one side, and then the things that we actually believe to be true about reality, usually that we're messed up in some way and that we're on our own in some way. And the diagnostic tool to determine what we actually believe is the way that we are living our lives. Right. There's so many ways that that, I think, gets thrown around. Um, So many books and so many talks and so many, uh, some of these uh, orthopraxies, right? You've got your orthodoxy, these things that you believe, but then what are the things you actually practice and how are the ways that you walk them out? And I know that I'm often surprised by or distressed by the disconnect. For instance, I think of C.S. Lewis's encouragement to remember that our neighbors are eternal beings, that you're never interacting with just a person who's coming and going, that everybody actually has an immortal soul and should be treated as such. And I love the bumper sticker that it reads, Jesus loves you, but everybody else thinks you're an asshole. Because it, it is easy to drift back into that, like, no, my neighbor is just the head of the neighborhood association. He's kind of difficult to interact with. Like, he's not an immortal being that I need to be concerned about his salvation. Because to operate like that 24-7, 365, for as long as I'm alive, is just exhausting. And so it's much easier to drift into these old patterns. But the way that I think it matters even more is the narratives that we speak over ourselves and speak over other people. Um, We get really fired up about the action piece because I think it is a really easy, it sounds hard, right? When you're talking about your pastor example, it's like that live like you're immortal and go after everybody. And like, you have this, this this truth is as actual and live like it. And I almost feel worse for not right. Like the, the call is so high that when I don't live like that, I actually, I feel really like crappy and it's kind of like, yeah, dang. That's a really important thing because, you know, it's easy to receive it as you're messing up. Not only do you suck at life, you also suck at believing. Uh, But the offer here and what we want to dive into in this podcast is this is actually an opportunity to be changed. This is not this is something that Jesus is uniquely adept at addressing which is our assumptions about reality which he speaks to. And so you know if I go my goodness in my neighborhood neighbors are such a great example and I think of my neighbors that are irritating and I think of trying to muscle out being kind to them and how that lasts like five to 10 minutes, it's impossible to perform my way into like a right belief. And I will say, I have these moments of out of an experience of God, deeply realizing and in sort of a wonderful way that they are an eternal being selected and loved by God. And suddenly It is a revelation that changes the natural inclinations of my heart. Totally. Totally. Okay. So it's all, it's all, it's so good. And let's bring this down to the incense level of like our stories in ways that this isn't just a sermon because it could be, and it is often. Um, So I I know that a lot of the guys listening have probably read Killing Lions um, 
or at least been exposed to some of like the content because that's that's part of the Ensign's culture and world. But it's worth revisiting because it's it's a big part of where this began to come home for me in my story. And I'm talking about that like identity and naming piece again. There is a chapter for me on just this this season for me in college where I felt like the message was delivered from my peers and from my family and from the institution over and over again of like, you are on the outside or you are a black sheep or you are doing things wrong. And it didn't need to be the same message. They didn't all need to get the phrasing the same every time. Though for some people's stories, it is literally the same words. It needed to be landing in the same general area. And it was like the being on the outside, being a black sheep, being an outsider, doing things wrong. Um, uh, just, it began to feel like the verdict over and over again. And so that felt very true. And I think I would have named it as true of myself because enough people were saying it over me. It began to feel true. And then it was the whole lens through which I operated and lived. Um, and I want to have grace for that person that is me, that is younger, because when you're in the thick of it and when everyone is saying it to you, it's so hard to have any other reality be an option, be a potential truth. Um, and as I wrote in that chapter um, on changing the scripts we live by, there's a need to identify what that script is in order for us to be able to break it. And we need to like have the, the capacity of maybe somebody else, maybe this gospel truth, maybe it's something that we're able to identify internally that isn't the only option for us, that there is an alternative script we could live by. And it was massive for me to be able to name, okay, I'm, I'm walking out this, I am X, I am a black sheep, therefore I will always be a black sheep, therefore I will always live on the outside. And to break that and say like, that's not true of me, will have massive implications and did. And so many stories have popped up for me since then, because once you have that that lens of someone's story, it begins to change everything, right? So it's when we did the podcast with Michael Cusick on sexuality, that was a huge part of why he believes so many things don't work in quote unquote fixing men. It's why the accountability for porn addiction doesn't work because the message that's underneath it is you are going to mess up when we take our eyes off you. You cannot be trusted. And so we're going to hem you in. But as soon as you are not watched, that that verdict is still happening. That verdict is still unfolding. And yet, like how powerful that is, of course the person's going to go and, and fail because everything that everyone has been saying is that they will. Where Where is the verdict of you will not fail? You will live well. It's in the Bible. So why are we, why are we not walking that out? Um, we get really fired up about the action reveals belief piece that Dan Allender writes about in to be told because it is so tangible. It's like, I, I do need to like bring it down to the, like, how does this actually play itself out? Um, we've used this example before that he writes about, but it's helpful to repeat. He talks about saying that he values health and wellness for his body. But when things get hard, he turns to food. And what he needs to acknowledge there is that his action is revealing that his deeper belief is wanting to be comforted. It's not that he actually wants 
this health. It's that he wants comfort in these hard moments. And I remember talking about that story with Lori, who we've had in the podcast and who's part of our new intro. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Action reveals belief 100% of the time, except for when it doesn't, right? Because isn't that exactly what Paul says in Romans? Uh, Yeah, which also is what Luke said when we were sort of raving about this diagnostic duel. And as Paul says, I do not do what I would do. And he continues, the spirit is at war with the flesh. And I think it's chapter eight. Is that where it is? seven. So close. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I'm sure that there are more qualified people who parse out what Paul is after. But one thing that feels so clear is Paul assumes that we have a nature set inside us by God. We are believing children of the Most High. And then we have this flesh, which is slowly being put to death. And the two are tangled together in mortal conflict. And just to go, oh my gosh, just because you do, you know, you end up going to food doesn't mean that you don't value wellness. Right. But it does show you, man, all kinds of things like a sight where your flesh has not been put to death or a site where your heart is not actually whole. You're not totally in charge of what you choose when you're in pain because you are divided on the level of the soul. And that's something that actually needs the healing and address of God. Oh yeah. There's lots of mercy there. You want the diagnostic tool does work because it makes us, it makes us focus on what the deeper issues are. It makes you kind of go, as a culture, we say as that millennials are very concerned about politics. And yet the data that you were diving into what, a couple of months ago was revealing that that is actually not true, that we're not actually that involved and that the rates at which we are participating in elections isn't actually that encouraging. But we like this idea of ourselves of being this very proactive group of people. It's like, well, the megaphones of the time are quite accessible. And so the people who are championing these causes are able to project those far and wide. And so it feels like this is a time where people are particularly involved. But did you vote in the last election that just passed around? Because I didn't. I wish I had. I was, I can give all these reasons about why I was busy and why it didn't happen. And we had this trip coming up and all those things are true, but I didn't. And so I kind of don't get to think of myself as this person because I'm not that person. Right. And, you know, though it is a powerful tool, I would kind of definitely say that if you consider yourself to be a politically minded person and the peak of your engagement is political posts and voting, uh, you still fall pretty short of the agitator. Right. Worth saying. There's this other piece that I was talking about with a friend recently who, in their story, they had, because it actually fits really well, this this conversation around food. Um, they were they were really struggling with food and had an eating disorder for a while. Um, and the, the people around them that loved them did one of two things uh, for the most part. One group kind of tried to ignore it and hope that it would deal with itself and go away. The other group tried to help by sort of 
putting this person into an environment where they couldn't keep harming themselves by their food choices. So it's all of this like attention. It's this looking over the shoulder thing. It's a lot like the accountability example I gave earlier, but it ends up being this, I'm, I'm trying to help you. Therefore I'm limiting your options and sort of giving you the bumpers and the bowling lane so that you can, you can hit the pins and it kind of helps sort of, but the story that they tell was it wasn't either of those two groups that actually ended up being the most helpful and the most freeing. It was, one of their siblings, who said to them one day, I trust you. I trust you with yourself. I trust you with your choices. I know that you are going to make the right choice for yourself. And you're going to pursue healing. Like That flew in the face of the way that everyone else is behaving. Those bumpers say, you can't be trusted. That hemming in, that looking over the shoulder says, you will not make the right choice. And to have somebody else say, I trust you, actually has proven to be the most groundbreaking and earth-shattering thing for this person's story. And we were talking about this story. Uh, my wife has just been reading this book, The Self-Driven Child. And as I was mentioning to her, we're going to do this podcast. She goes, oh my gosh, you have to like, you have to pull this up because the idea of this trust being spoken over you is huge. It's huge as human beings. It's huge as part of our development. And so I grabbed a quote here from the book, The Self-Driven Child, and it reads like this. Instead of trusting kids with choices, many parents insist on micromanaging everything from homework to friendships. For these parents, Stixrud and Johnson have a simple message. Stop. Instead of thinking of yourself as your child's boss or manager, try consultant. Focus on the ways that children today are being denied a sense of controlling their own lives, doing what they might find meaningful, and succeeding or failing on their own. Screen time, the authors say, is part of the problem, but so are well-meaning parents and schools who are unwittingly taking from children the opportunities they need to grow stronger, more confident, and more themselves. Yeah, it's huge. It's the concept that we are made for freedom. And... The parenting example is great because when you put guardrails on a kid's experience, you do say, you would miss the pins if these were not there. Oh, yeah. You would miss the pins. You are not a bowler. And like the difference of going is, oh, no, you, you can handle it. You will get it eventually. And yeah, you might need some correction uh, and direction, but that's not destroying uh, the ability to handle freedom. Right. It's not pushing for the opposite, right? I don't think anybody would say that the the correct choice is one extreme or the other. There's this healthy medium that says, yes, like involvement, instruction, guiding, teaching children in the ways that they should go, and then trusting that they'll walk it out. Because if what you are doing is looking over their shoulder saying, if I don't check in on your homework every 10, 15 minutes, every night, like you're not going to do it. Well, then yeah, like what you're telling you, they're not going to do it because they, they, even though it's an act of rebelling to say like, no, I get to be my own person. Like you just, uh, oh yeah, this is so much to get fired up there. And then all all of that also is rooted in the, if you were speaking over them, I trust you to the example of the food, to the example of your friend who's struggling with the addiction, to the example of the child with the homework, like that is actually biblical like it's it's there in the identity piece right so we're parsing out this action reveals belief this gap between 
things that we know to be true about the universe and then our own life. And we have this massive helpful piece, which is our identity. I love that Morgan says, we will never live beyond our identity. It's just true. For a number of years, a friend of mine would bring up to me again and again sort of the the language of, you're God's son. And I needed direction on some key things. And it was not helpful, though that's a, that's a beautiful reality, because what I thought, the identity that I thought God was addressing was that I was God's child, that those two were exactly the same. And it was this your identity, you belong, you have this family. Those are all real wonderful things. But the son is also a political reality in the world in which Jesus names his friends, like his sons, is the world of ancient Israel, where the son was endowed with all of the authority of the father to oversee the management of the state. It was an impartation to act exactly as the father could act in every situation. He was fully able to carry out the work of the father. And so it was this thing that God was trying to do about identity going, you are my ruler, emissary. You are filled with my power. And what I'm hearing is like, you're my child. And I'm like, I I need that reality in a deep place. But also just even in the context of leading a small group, I feel like I need something in addition to that rich base and being loved by you and being chosen by you. That was actually this identity thing that he was working over and over to bring because it does change the way that I see reality. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge piece for a lot of guys at the the intensive of that embracing the rights of sonship. Like that could be the entire message and it would be life-changing because if that's the invitation, then you have all of the resources of your father, you have all of the blessing of your father and you get to walk with boldness. And it's like, whoa, who actually lives like that? Like, that's amazing. Um, I've no, like for me, sometimes I've had to dial it down to small moments because that's actually been more manageable. Um, the deeper life sentence type things, like I mentioned in the book, are like those, those take time. They take time to read the waters of our lives and go, Oh, this is, this is pulling me this direction. And I don't know that that's true. And I need other eyes. I need other counseling words to like help change those. But in small moments I've experienced like just kind of trying to flex muscles and like, what if this were true? I remember there was a, a boot camp that I was responding at and I was feeling nervous before going up on stage. And I just had this moment of like, what if, what if all of that is true and I have all of the authority and I get to bring and walk in this, this boldness that the scriptures say I get to, like, what if for the next 10 minutes, I just live like that were true. And then I am walking with this massive authority behind me. And all of a sudden, like the nerves faded away. It was like somebody had just like washed me over with warm water. Like I just felt this ease and this relaxation in my chest and my muscles. And I walked up on stage and it was, 
easy. Normally, it kind of takes a little while to kind of get the words to come out. And you're kind of like, I wish I could do a little warm up on stage before I started talking, but you just kind of launch off. That time, there wasn't any of that. It was like just straight into, this is true. This is who I am. If you feel like I'm super confident today, that's because this is this thing that I am practicing for the next 10 minutes. And I got off on stage and it was like, wow, that'd be really awesome if I could always live like that. I don't think it was something I was aware of 30 minutes later. But those moments, I think, are actually really helpful for me to begin like going, okay, this person's really bugging me right now. Back to that eternal beings piece. And there are moments where the Holy Spirit brings a little bit of clarity and it goes, you know, you're just kind of interacting with this person like someone to get through. Maybe it's someone that you are selling a motorcycle to or that's your mechanic or somebody you're sitting next to on the airplane and you're just kind of irritated. They're kind of in your way. And it's like, oh, wait, I had like a brief moment of clarity. Just give me like that, that 10 minute breakthrough and it can change an entire interaction. It doesn't need to be like this, this thing that it, I think goes back to earlier in this podcast where I say, like, if when I hear those sermons, if I feel like I'm not walking out of the hundred percent of the call of who I am and who it's my identity and what God has done, then I'm failing because that's a, that's a big shift that I think happens in one action at a time. Yeah. I'm also struck by the fact that there's a scope to particular identities and you know, what we're suggesting here is the active inquiry into the script we're living out into the identity we are performing and that's you have you know the flexible tool of action revealing belief but then you just have what comes out of your own heart i think of for a long time i've been building this outbuilding that's kind of an illustration of scale creep behind my house it started as a shed to put a wood stove in and smoke cigars with guys in in the winter. And then it became, well, it also really needs to be kind of a riding in time with God space because our house is small and there's nowhere to disappear to. And then that both Emma and I could use. And, you know, it ends up as a whole structure learning to build a tiny house. And at every stage in this project, it's just been so aggravating, you know? Because I don't actually know how to do any of these building things. I have kind of a one degree removed exposure to the concepts of building, but not very much hands-on experience with the various stages of foundation, framing, framing nailers, sheathing, house wrap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's kind of been, I don't know how many days, like how many evenings I've come in from grabbing an hour after work to work on this thing. Just feeling, I cannot do this. I don't deserve to be able to do this because I'm so unqualified. And I'm just on my own out here. And Em will go, I really don't think this is the story God is trying to tell you in this project. But what's coming up in my heart is just the experience of being like, the demands are too much in this. Like, And yes, I want to receive them, but either I'm just totally failing or and... What's being asked of me is way, way above where my current abilities are. And it's this chance, right, to go, okay, I can't force myself into uh, an accurate 
view of the universe. But I can go, like, take the time to go, Jesus, meet me here. Show me here what you are doing. Show me what I need, what needs to be repented of, like accusing you for just abandoning me at every new thing. And then show me where your kindness is uh, in speaking some of the reality that you are trying to illustrate in this scene. Yeah, so a huge part of this is the the messages that are coming against you that are they are lifelong, really, and they are different for each person, um, and and yet they will often have that theme. And so the example of the building is like that. It's going to come this angle, that angle, and and then you're going to feel stupid for trying, and then you're going to feel abandoned for not receiving the help that you needed. And it's just going to be like, you're screwed one way and then you're going to be mocked the other. And it's just this, this little vice trap that the, the enemy tries to get you into and accuse you of. And I mean, it's like a, this little cyclical thing that unfolds. And really the only thing that frees you from it is naming the truth of your identity and it asking, as you were saying, for God to speak to those places because you can't sort of mentally arm wrestle your way out of that. You can't be like, right. No, this isn't true. And like, no, I'm not going to believe you. La 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 la. Because historically you've probably not been able to do that. And it's probably repeated itself over and over and over again. That's why this, this podcast really stemmed from like the power of, I trust you and the power of, if it's hard to do for yourself, what's it like to do for someone else? So for the friend that's struggling with that, disorder or the addiction the whatever to, to name for them. No, you are not someone who is destined to fail or destined to sin or destined to be stuck in this. Like that was a huge part of a recent uh, guys group that I was doing that idea that you will inevitably sin. How many people believe that, right? Like I'm probably, I'm going to wager almost everyone, but what a horrible and self-fulfilling and not it's actually not even biblical that you, you have Jesus in you and that you actually can live as the new creation. And what if you told someone that is not who you are anymore and therefore you will not do it. Like that is this crazy, exciting, hopeful alternative that you, you may not be able to name for yourself, but you can name for someone else. And it begins in those small specific categories, but it really should bleed into every category where you say like you are a son you are redeemed you are living with a new and good heart you do not desire those old things anymore i trust you that is the narrative for your life what then like how does that person live then and how would you receive that if that were spoken over you yeah there seem to be some really core ones here and there's obviously the one of freedom. Jesus's message includes some pretty profound trust. It's not like Jesus made free will in the universe and then had to give it to everybody. It's that in creating irreplicable people and deeply understanding each one, he understood this one can handle freedom. This one can handle freedom. There's the one of abandonment and simply the identity of just going, oh, with you, I'm with you. That's that's the script. I am with you. That is a that is real. And then there's just the one of on track. 
I don't know how much of the daily dialogue of the young guys interact with and myself has to do with off plan A, behind and simply headed the wrong direction and to know that actually Jesus's message of being pleased uh, with his sons includes this measure of no, like on time, on track. And that suddenly the way that I see my world isn't the thing that is falling apart. It's, oh, the place that I'm supposed to be in. This isn't some back alley I've wandered down. This is the spot the story is supposed to be in right now. There's so much of an invitation here to begin even journaling into, meditating into, what are the identities? What are the things that I say are real of me, sort of moment to moment, day to day? And then kind of going, what would it look like uh, to begin to ask God for his naming of your marriage, his naming of your work, his naming of your parenting? And usually... I'm going to just say usually every time God's renaming comes with this massive reframing of the quality of our lives. That was Sam and Blaine Eldridge from the Ansons podcast titled, I Trust You. I'm Alan Arnold, and I hope to see you back for next week's Ransomed Heart Podcast.